welcome everyone. Welcome. I'm Aubrey Byer. I'm Shaylin Smith, and you're listening to The, the Resolute. Resolute. I have a question for you. All right. Have you ever eaten? <laughs> sure have. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was lame. <laughs> have you ever eaten raw fish? All the time, baby. Delicious. Delicious. I could go for some raw fish right now. Oh, man. I love raw fish, too. In that capacity. In that capacity. Have you ever caught a fish and eaten it raw? No. Don't think I ever would. It would make Mm -mm. me too nervous. We're going to learn and hear a lot about... Oh, boy. Eating some raw fish in this story. (laughs) I'm a little nervous. I don't know. This is... um, this was actually one I happened upon. Okay. I, I had planned on doing researching for somebody else. And in my research, I came upon this oh, interesting. story okay. and was stunned that yeah. I had not heard about it. Okay, And it's one of those situations where sometimes I feel like we don't hear about certain stories mm. because they're not American right. or because it's not you know i don't know white a white person mm. or somebody that you know is considered i don't know it's just it was shocking i had not heard of this because um as you'll hear the story you'll be shocked too that you've never probably okay. never heard of this okay all right so i'm going to set a little this is a graphic scene you've been warned <laughs> it's not like it's not super gruesome it's just graphic okay so here we go wild tale Huddled together in the middle of a topless 23-foot-long boat, the sun baked the heads of Jose and Ezekiel. It hadn't rained in more than a week. The fresh water they had been trying to hold on to had long since run out. Their food supply was diminished, and with weak and shaking hands, Jose held the turtle he had just caught, his mouth dry, trying to salivate but his dehydration made it impossible to summon up even the smallest amount of moisture. Blood from the turtle trickled down his neck and was already getting sticky in the heat as he lifted it to his mouth to drink. It's blood. blood? Oh, okay. Ezekiel watched in horror, refusing to participate. Something bumped the bottom of the skiff, making the precious blood miss his mouth and spatter on his cheek. He looked over the edge to see the shadowy outline on the mirror surface mirror still surface of the water the sharks were back <laughs> the sharks were back i don't like that no Ugh. yikes so this is an incredible story of survival and um it's the story of jose salvador alvarenga Sometimes, as I'm telling it, I'll say Jose. Sometimes I'll say Alvaranga. Um, in the book I read about him, he he's just called Alvaranga okay. the whole time. So I might slip back and forth. Okay. Same guy. Jose Salvador Alvaranga was born in Narita Palmera, El Salvador in 1975. He, from day one, was said to have loved the ocean. He loved being on the beach. He loved being in the water everything about it he loved the creatures he could find um and when he was only 11 years old he ran away from school Mm. to live on the beach with friends (laughs) 
Like, I don't know if he just left his whole family behind. Or He's what, like, goodbye. Just lived leave. on the beach with friends. Um, in the area that he grew up in, in El Salvador, it was very violent. Yeah. And, it, you know, safety was a constant concern of his and his family's. Um, it was a very impoverished area. And as he got older, he would spend like all day out on the water fishing. And part of that was, it, he mentions it was safer than being on land, hmm. which is like so disheartening. Yeah. But, you know, thankfully for him, he loved the water. He loved being on the ocean and it was just a, a refuge for him. In his young adult years, he would, you know, like I said, spend the day on the water and then in the evenings with whatever money he got from the catches, you know, he'd party it up and would kind of live hand to mouth, but mm. would, you know, spend a lot of his money. Like a lot of people in this area would just, you know, go to bars and things like that. And then when their money ran out, they just go fishing again and get more money. Yeah. And that's the the lifestyle that he would live. So um, one night he's at a bar and gets into an argument with this other guy before he knows it there's like five other guys surrounding him oh boy so six guys total and they beat him up badly Mm. and before leaving him so he ended up getting three broken ribs oh my yeah and a concussion and before they left him there on the street that they probably thought he would die they stabbed him 11 times. Oh, my god! I know. And just left him outside the bar. It's, what? <laughs> and then took off. And thankfully, you know, like, people from the bar, a scene had, you know, like, they had <laughs> flocked to the scene. Yeah. And were able to get him some immediate medical attention. And while he's healing in the hospital, um, one of the guys that had attacked him was murdered. <laughs> Someone slit this man's throat. Okay. And all of the friends came to the conclusion that it must have been one of Jose's friends. Oh, my gosh. So it's like starting like a a feud. Yes. Like a a full-on gang-style revenge story. Wow. And, I mean, it couldn't have been him because he was still healing from the 11 stab wounds that they'd given him yeah but um this battle starts to take place essentially and jose hears from somebody that he's next on their like hit list oh my god which this is all i have all i've had the the fortune to always live in a place i felt safe right and this is just so terrifying to me so, um, he, upon hearing this news, his family encourages him to flee. Mm. They're like, just take all your things, get out of El Salvador. Yeah. Like, they're not going to stop until they right. take you down. Yeah. Because now they see him as a threat. Right. You know, if they really th- think that it was his friends that had come at, come after them, they're not going to stop until he's taken out. Wow. So he does. He flees and he leaves everyone behind, including he had a one-year-old daughter at the time. Mm. I know. And he flees to the Chiapas region in Mexico, which great coffee. Best coffee. Best coffee. 
And uh, there he would try, he tried to fit in as one of the locals because the Mexican police would send you back if they found that you were an illegal and, you know, in their country. The, (laughs) it was a little bit of a struggle for him to fit in because one, he didn't look anything like the local Mexicans. You know, they had this nice like coffee brown skin and he had a much, you know, lighter, paler complexion. But regardless at one point he was caught by the police mm. and he sang the mexican national anthem and <laughs> he's like convinced no can- i live here <laughs> <laughs> that would not I, work in the u.s no, oh my not. gosh that's too good it's just so funny because i guess they're like oh okay and all right <laughs> just let him or they're just like adios you know amigo. maybe he's not harming anybody we'll just let him go that's funny okay i know um to get <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> That's so good. I would love to. I don't know. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be funny. But he was also, you know, he was said to have just been a really kind, spirited, charming sort of man who just, he just really cared about people. He was always laughing. He had like a contagious sense of humor. And so I just imagine him using like just his like shining personality to to just, he probably just charmed them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because he was just that sort of person. Um, he gained a lot of the locals' trust and admiration by cleaning up the streets and touristy areas, um, f- you know, for free initially. Like, he's just trying to yeah. blend in with this community. Right. And um, there was, at this point, a lot of uh, drug trafficking up and down the coast. And I'm sure there still is. But, um, yeah, because this, this only takes place in, like, 2012. Yeah. It's very current. Yeah. But um, a lot of drug trafficking trafficking up and down the coast and he had been they'd tried to recruit him a few times because he had so much like open ocean experience right with the fishing that he did in el salvador but he didn't want any part of any of that he knew the risks involved and even though it was a way to make an income he he just wasn't he right. really values his life and he, just he wasn't, wasn't willing to yeah, risk it absolutely. i mean he fled here to live right so yeah i'm not gonna exchange it for <laughs> something yeah 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 so at one point he had found an abandoned boat mm. that was riddled with bullets and he tried to like he's like thinking oh you know i could start my own enterprise here <laughs> so he tries to like bring it back to the little like bunk area that he was um sleeping in so he was like taking it up the coast and it sunk immediately. <laughs> immediately, it's like okay. That is so funny. I know. Oh my god! But at this point, he didn't have any way to make income, right. so he's just like trying. He's you like, know? let's try it out. Well, yeah, okay. not well. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's not gonna work. Yeah. But soon he fell into the rhythm with a group of fishermen that he had met, and they all just really liked, really liked him. Yeah. And he was like the life of the party, and, uh, you know, in starting to know them, he got introduced to their boss who quickly took him on yeah. as one of his fishermen. And so now he had a community of people Cool. and they all would watch each other. You know, they were, they were there for each other. It was yeah. like this really strong community of friends, coworkers and, you know, people that looked out for each other. Yeah. So they, <laughs> this is just so funny to me and it, it's funny, but it also is what keeps this man alive in the ordeal you're about to hear. Um, they his nickname among his friend group was Chancha, which is like a loving name meaning piggy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And they called him Chancha because he would eat anything. Oh my god. Anything and everything. Any if something fell off the grill or he would just eat it. Like he didn't He's like, what give me that? Yeah, he just didn't care. That's and funny. and partially probably just, you know, having to live like hand to mouth for so long. Yeah. He's like, I'm not picky, you yeah. know? Yeah. Food's but he food, would literally yeah. eat anything. They would stay up late partying after a good catch every night and um you know just by the fire telling jokes and just staying up late um one night when the food when they ran out of food for the party someone went to get more and he didn't want to wait so someone went to go get some chickens for them to roast and they're having like some corona beers and he didn't want to wait so he just took one of the sardines that they had like a bunch of sardines there that they were going to be using for bait the next day wrapped it up it was still partially frozen, wrapped it up in a tortilla, and <laughs> to the horror of all their friends, and he knew he had a captive audience, so yeah. I think I think he liked to play yeah. on their, you know, yeah. disgust, but he just bit the tail off and ate it. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, thank you. No. Yeah. And it, it says it was like the size of his hand. That's and I'm a like, that is a huge sardine. That's not like a tiny little anchovy right. little bite. Yeah. That's like, ugh. That's a, the tail? That's the, I can't the even. The worst part. Why would you ugh, want to eat All that? those little bones? Yeah. yeah. So this group of guys that he would hang out with, it, they called themselves the Sharkers because they didn't only fish off the shoreline. Mm-hmm. They would go 50, 100 miles out okay. off the coast and do like the deep okay fishing and it's extremely risky i mean have you ever seen deadliest catch yeah okay so that is intense yeah and those oceans are wild yeah and you know up there but they're in huge ocean you know what is, fishing vessels, vessels. Yeah. there we go vessels that's yeah. the word they're in vessels that are designed for open ocean right these guys are in 23 foot long canoe shaped boats yeah like imagine just like you know a little boat with a motor on the back yeah open top there's no, no i looked up a picture of like what these boats looked like and i'm like you're going into the open yeah. ocean in that yeah no i would never no the titanic sunk yeah. okay yeah and these guys are out in a tiny little skiff well i think about that with like um Oh, what am I thinking of? Like the Polynesian islands and yeah. like Hawaii and stuff, and like kind of the theories like people boated over there or something. Which like I'm like there is no in way. There's no way. I mean, I don't know. Uh, and maybe I'm thinking of the wrong place, which is entirely possible. No, I know what you're talking about. But though. Like, They're like, yeah, like I mean, you're going across massive expanses of open deep ocean. Yeah, I mean and... they do that on in Quinault, right? They go through the Salish Sea. Um, that's true. Right? And oh, that's my gosh. terrifying. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't no. think I would want to do that, personally. Oh, not my occupation. <laughs> um, so the Sharkers are said to have, they earn a lot more money mm. because they're getting those big tuna. Right. They're bringing in sharks. Yeah. But they die young, is like the little saying. Oh. And I'm like, oh, yeah. they're often missing fingers yeah. from, you know, the, I mean... Some of these creatures that they're bringing on to the boat are just snapping at them. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't think about that. Like, 
<laughs> it's one thing to catch them, but then they have to haul them right onto this canoe-shaped boat. Right. So they're they're at their ankles. Right. You know. I'm yeah. like, how did this? That's ugh. so strange. Yeah. And then they still have to prepare them and hmm. put them in their. They would have like chest freezer sort of containers on there to house all hmm. the fish that they they would cut them and prepare uh, like fillet fillet them right then and there so that they would only be keeping the best pieces in the chest freezers so that way they weren't carrying extra weight that was wasn't going to be a wasn't going to gain an income for them one of these days jose gets up early to go fishing he's going deep fishing or deep sea fishing and his normal buddy um couldn't go with him that day i don't really know why but he brings along this other guy Ezekiel, who you met earlier, who didn't want to drink the blood. Are you saying Ezekiel? <laughs> it's Ezekiel. It's pronounced Ezekiel. Okay. Uh, you are saying I know. I, it sounds like, like I'm like, saying it wrong, yeah. but I looked up like how okay. his name was pronounced. Okay. It feels like I'm saying right. it wrong, too, because yeah. that's not how we pro- okay. would pronounce it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I no, like, and I appreciate not, that. Like, um, so the um, his last name is... Cordoba. So I'm going to call Ezekiel. We're going to call him Cordoba. Um, So Cordoba was, he was a green fisherman. He was young. He'd only done shoreline fishing. And this was going to be his first time going out. And he was really nervous, but, um, you know, wanted to give it a shot. And they would never go out alone because it takes two. It takes two. I mean, one, you know is they're bringing in a lot i mean yeah. over like a half ton of fish is That's what they're bringing in of fish. i know wow. well it's a half ton yeah oh <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> wow okay <laughs> wow 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 <laughs> That's funny. That's oh funny. man um so <laughs> That's so good oh, that was good that was good oh my gosh so you definitely got to have two guys yeah. on one of these skiffs when you're going, you know, 50 miles to 100 miles out, which yeah. is just, ugh. So he notices right away, like, his anchor and the chain are missing. Mm. But they would often, like, borrow from different boats. You know, these are not the fanciest of boats. Mm-hmm. And another fellow fisherman had been borrowing it because he was doing shoreline fishing where okay. you need to anchor. Right. And Jose is thinking, I, I don't need it. I'm going to be a hundred miles out. Right. My anchor is not even going to do anything. Yeah. So he's not too worried about it. He loads the boat up and this kind of frees the deck space up too right. for more bait poles. And I say deck space. It's like the bottom of the boat. Right. I mean, imagine yeah. a massive canoe right. <laughs> when you see these things. Yeah. Um, so this allows though for more, bait poles nets buoys that sort of thing and uh so they set out on the morning of november 17th 2012 and he had planned for a good 30 hour excursion so he had brought like extra um he didn't pack a ton of food because he knew they'd be catching some of their food too and he would his style of doing these fishing excursions is he would like to bring minimal supplies. So he would bring like some tomatoes, some onions, 
and then just some lemons and salt. Okay. And that and then would make like a ceviche right. out of the fish that they caught, and that's what they would eat during their shipping sh- or fishing trip. Okay. Sometimes he'd bring a little extra like tortillas and things like that. So um, that also helped free up space, you know, so he's not having to house a lot on this ship. He was a very experienced sailor and fisherman. And one of the, he would always wear like a full face mask Mm -hmm. because of his lighter skin. Um, He would burn. Whereas usually his fishing mates didn't have to worry about that so much. And that would help protect his skin against the sun. So uh, during this trip, they're heading out. They've been fishing about half the day. And he can see, he can feel kind of that a storm's going to brew. But he wants to press on. Because every, you know, when he would always say, like, all the other fishermen would go back. But then that opened the ocean up for him, you know, because he was willing to kind of, he would stay out when other fishermen would retreat. So he wasn't too worried, but the storm at this point was hidden by the mountains Mm. and um, it was kind of said like if he had seen it, he might've turned back because it was a massive storm Yeah, and it lasted for over five days over the water. At this point, they had caught um, a half ton of fish, and Cordoba, th- what well, he was almost seasick the entire time. This poor kid. This is his first time out. Right? His first time out, and he was like, couldn't keep anything down. The rocking, you know, I mean, you know, like waves are like lifting yeah. this little boat up and then dropping him yeah. down the other side. Yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, Cordoba said, "Get us out of here. Let's go back. We're gonna die." And Jose Alvarenga said, shut up. <laughs> That's it. Just shut up. And like, we're staying out here. We're not bailing is basically the message that he sent. So they pull their lines in. And at this point, water is like pouring into the boat from Yikes. the waves. Oh, gosh. And um, Cor- Cordoba is trying to scoop it out with, yeah. you know, they have like some buckets and things like that. While Alvarenga is trying to navigate and get them out of this situation. Um, At one point, he decides to just cut the line altogether. And he's losing, you know, a lot of fish and equipment. But it was also acting as kind of like an anchor and not allowing them. That's part of the reason that they were getting so much water on board. Right. And so once they cut it. It really helped because now they're at least floating higher up, you know, like riding the waves yeah. more easily, yeah. not being pulled back by it. But um, he knew it was thousands of dollars of fish and equipment. So he, he was frustrated. And yeah. In the moment, he was like frustrated, but it probably honestly saved their lives yeah. too. And at least he knew they weren't going to sink. The waves weren't crashing inside the boat. And at this point... He's thinking, you know, okay, it, Cordoba's right. We need to head back. It's like, all right. <laughs> but um, as he goes to turn the motor on, the cover is missing and the motor has been damaged beyond repair. Oh, no. That is like the worst thing I can imagine happening out there. <sighs> My, there's no oars. There's what no you, sail. What do you do? You just, that's you it. You are, they're officially just adrift at sea and he just cut all the equipment that they could use to like 
catch food. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yep. Are you for real? So oh. Alvarenga had a two-way radio and thankfully he was he wasn't far enough out yet to lose complete contact with shore and he was able to call his boss on the two-day radio i say thankfully because it at least gave them some hope right. it didn't help them just yeah. so you know oh. um, but he was able to send out an sos to his boss and then the battery died oh so then it was useless oh no and so immediately like some of the fishermen friends they're like we gotta go right now but this storm is still raging right and um finally like a couple of guys were like i I don't care we're going like Mm. i want to go look for him so one boat went out but they didn't have any coordinates to go off of and they're basically searching an area that's four times the size of like the city of san francisco right so yeah what are you gonna what are you gonna and and with the waves rolling you're not it's not flat you're not gonna see for miles it's your chances are very small one in a million one in a million and it was just so dangerous so they went out they looked for several hours and they felt like they were going to die looking for them yeah and so they went back and um the night that alvarenga saying his name right yeah the night that alvarenga was supposed to be back from the fishing trip was um this night now because they had made it through to the next day and they were he was supposed to bring chickens Mm. to this birthday celebration and instead their friends held like a candlelight vigil and prayed for these two men yeah and they didn't think that they were dead they just like they were missing and they had no idea how these men might make it through so during this time they were regaling each other with stories of alvarenga and his sense of humor and they would you know joked that there's like if anyone can survive it's alvarenga because he'll he's strong yeah he's always got a positive attitude and then they were telling the story about how he can eat anything so like he doesn't care and there was this one story that one of the um guys was telling that he alvarenga was house sitting for a friend Mm. And the friend hadn't left any food in his fridge or anything. And there was dog food. So he poured himself a bowl of dog food. Oh, my gosh. And said one of his friends that was over there with him was like, you're going to get sick. And he's like, you don't see the dogs dying, do you? (laughs) (laughs) So disgusting. That's so funny. I know. He just ate it. Like, I don't know. This guy does not have taste buds or something. You got to do what you got to do. Gotta do what you, you gotta I do. Mean, what you gotta did do, he man. have to do that? Yeah, then? he pr- maybe, maybe he didn't not. have to do at oh. that time, but that's funny. So they would tell stories of um, Alvarenga had given one of his friends enough money to go visit his ailing sister, mm. and he would give kids in town coins to go get bubble gum. That's sweet. And I know he yeah. was just like you know he he would party, but he was just living life, you know, just living it up. He was open handed. Open handed. Yes, that's exactly it. Um. So before they had gone out, this is like eerie. Okay. Cordoba, he's the young, the younger of the two, and he's inexperienced. The man that had trained him had, I don't know, like how this occurred, but this woman in town that would give out prophecies had prophesied to Cordoba that he would die, 
and this was days before he went out. Isn't that eerie? Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. I'd be like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I would not <laughs> yeah. do anything for a while after oh. like hearing a prophecy like that. Can you imagine him in the boat just thinking, like thinking back? You're oh. going to die. You're going to die. He's well, like, please exactly. take me back to shore. No, <laughs> yeah. and I honestly think you'll see like he does pass away. Mm. And I do think that, you know, there's so much to be said for positivity and having hope yeah in your mind yeah and i think having that underlying thought in his head was defeating from the beginning wow you know yeah and you know he's just of a weaker constitution i mean the alvarenga you know he has he'll eat anything he doesn't care right he's just this he's happy, a survivor like, you know? he's a survivor yeah <laughs> and then this poor other guy you know he's just he struggles mm-hmm. so um all right so six days in they've now been adrift for six days wow water is lined on the bottom of the boat you know the motor cover is gone the motors doesn't work fishing gear gone the supplies that was left to them was a wooden plank a bucket with clothes inside a battered fishing knife with a cracked handle a crusty machete a wooden club for like clubbing the fish, yeah. an empty ice box with lid. And the ice box was large. I mean, yeah. that was big enough. That was like the ice chest I was mentioning earlier. It's big enough that they can like both climb into, which they'll need to do time and time again to stay out of the elements. Oh and gosh. it was a retreat from the sun. Yeah. And to, and then at night, I mean, they are wet half the time right and so just cuddling together to stay warm Jeez. um a pile of bleach bottles a pile of nylon rope useless the useless motor and one red onion that they found <laughs> under this seat Oof. why the bleach bottles i don't know i was trying to think about that and i don't know if it's like to clean their own i don't know if they were empty bleach bottles Maybe, maybe they're used for something. Yeah, maybe they're used for something. Or, it doesn't. I never discovered that because I had. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, like of all the things to bring, I know. You like have ten empty bleach bottles. That's okay. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I know they know something we don't. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so originally, the name of this boat was just called Shrimper from the Coast Number Three, because it was like you know one in a fleet yeah. of many owned coast. by the yeah. <laughs> owner, but. uh a good name. Shrimper <laughs> number three. Uh, shrimper number three. But Alvarenga, after it survived that storm, <laughs> I don't know why this is like weird, but he names it the Titanic because he said that <laughs> other one, it's because he survives this. And so this is why we know this. But yeah. he said that other one, it sank. This one, it survives. I'd, All right. I would, yeah. I would have picked something like. I don't know. Behemoth Hercules or like something yeah. that like is a survivor. Yeah. Titanic. Yeah. Maybe not, but it made sense to him. Um, so you know, that's all that matters. Okay. <laughs> so um, survival techniques that he would use, he would scoop up jellyfish and eat them whole. Uh, and I didn't know you could eat a jellyfish. You can. He, he says it would burn. Oh, but great. when you're hungry, you do what you need to do you're healing yourself yeah like the purple ones he says burned more (laughs) i know it's wild and at one point he was so hungry he 
truly considered eating his own fingers. Oh, my word. And thought through the whole process of how you would cut, how you would do that. But then he decided, this is so gross. I mean, he doesn't do it. But then he decided there's not enough meat on them. And so that's what happened. It's not worth it. (laughs) So then he starts thinking of other techniques. So they had like one, I think they had... I don't know if it was a fishing pole or if he used like that wood plank, mm-hmm. but he ties the knife to it and tries like spearing some fish <laughs> yeah. because, you know, fish will start to flock. If something's still in the yeah. water, they'll start to gather underneath. It. Right. So you see that with all sorts of, you know, things, you know, if there's like um, a clump of seaweed floating right. in the water, fish will yeah. flock to it because it's shade. Right. Sometimes there's food in there. And then, oops, sorry, I knocked my mic. Um, and then other that will bring other creatures. Right. So it kind of becomes, you know, I've, as they're reaching day 10, there's fish that are starting to just. Wouldn't that be so frustrating? It's like right there. And there's just right, nothing th- and you, you could can't do. get yeah. it. And then, of course, their net they had cut free. Yeah. Ugh, it Dang. would just be infuriating. Yeah. So at one point, they found a garbage bag and. They opened it and there was a wad of chewed gum that they split between the two of them. They found some fresh carrots and a head of cabbage. And this was the first fresh food that they've had since they've been out. Wow. And a quart of milk that had partially soured, but they drank it anyway, which I'm like, I don't know how you would keep that. But but if you are completely dehydrated and you're going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. They tried drinking their own urine at one point, but... That the saltiness coupled with the saltiness surrounding them, yeah. they felt like he felt like it was just making it worse. Yeah. By day ten, they become completely desperate for any sort of water, hmm. and Alvarenga starts looking for sea turtles. The first few ones that he found were dead and bloated and just like floating by. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess, uh, huh? We don't have sea turtles in our ocean, Mm-mm. but that's interesting. Well, we do. We just do. farther south. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Not nearby. And this is like this. He's in the Pacific. It's right. just like way farther right. south. Yeah. yeah. We don't have them. It's too cold up here. And they're so cute. Yeah. I'm bummed. We don't have them. And then he hears. So he and uh, Cordoba are sheltering underneath the ice chest. And he hears a thunk. And he peeks out. And because sometimes sea, tur- sea turtles would try to like climb aboard. <laughs> And, like, when they would normally fish, this right. would happen. Yeah. And um, just to, like, give themselves... I don't really know why. Like, give themselves a rest or what. But the sea turtle's head is poking up over the side. Okay. And he rushes out and snatches it. What? And throws it on board. He that catches is this thing. I know. Sea turtles like, are so big, too. They're huge. That's impressive. They're huge. Yeah. I mean, it's that thing had to have been heavy yeah. to lift out of the water, yeah. even. And that's when, at the beginning... I told you about them drinking its blood. Dang. Cordoba refused. He said it's a sin. He felt like it was a sin yeah. to drink its blood, yeah. which I can understand, yeah. you know. Um, but Alvarenga, he does not care. And he he drank it. He felt completely refreshed after. He sliced up the meat and he tried to cook it in the shell, but they didn't have any way to start a fire. And he, he had like a little pocket mirror. So he was trying to start it with that. And it just, he couldn't get it started. So he waited as long as he could before hunger t- overtook him. And he just ate the meat raw. Hmm. Ooh, 
Mm. But he said, like, even a half hour after this, he just felt alive again. Yeah. And it was, like, encouraging because he's yeah. thinking, okay, I can, I can make this, yeah. you know. So finally, 13 days in, they've been adrift at sea for 13 days. They got some fresh water. Wow. And they had already created a plan for what they would do when it rains. And so um, they put this plan into action and they had like flipped the ice chest upwards to catch as much water as possible. They had um, all those jugs. They had started to collect uh, these empty jugs because he said there was trash in the ocean everywhere, which yeah. is so sad. Yeah. But they would were able to collect jugs and things like that. And they had everything like as soon as they felt the first drops, um, they thought it was like bird poop at first because birds would like come and poop on their boat. Oh my gosh. But then they kept hearing the plop, 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 and they rush out of the ice chest, flip it up, and put their plan in action to collect the water. And it works. And they finally have like fresh water and enough water to last them quite some time. Good. They've been adrift for quite some time. They've got plenty of water now. And it's nearing Christmas day Mm. and they've been keeping track based on like the moon cycles and things like that as to exactly how many days have passed and how much time they've been adrift. Oh yeah. Cause they were out, they went out right at the end of November, right? Yeah. Like uh, November 17th. Okay. So it's been over a month now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Dang. An entire month. That's a long time. That's a long time. So they would eat birds mm. that they could catch. Um, but for this big meal, they so they decided to make, they like saved up some food and decided to make a Christmas meal, which was um, Alvarenga's idea. Mm. And it's so smart because that's one of the things, like it's the mental games that can really wear you out mm-hmm. when you're in these survival situations. And you hear that a lot from people, like right. if you don't have hope um, I heard of this research project once where they put these rats in a bucket of water. Mm -hmm. And this is sad, but um, the rats had to stay afloat. So they were treading water and they would die within hours Mm -hmm. if just left in there. But a rat that they took out and dried off for a moment and gave like a little bit of food to when they put it back in there so that they would take it out after after a few hours dry it off give it food they'd put it back in there it would last for like over a day oh my god treading water because it had this hope right. and this thought of i'll be rescued i'll be rest yeah. yeah and um it might have even been several days wow. it's been a while since i like had learned of that and so it's amazing what your mind can do right to help you yeah you know the positivity of your mind yeah and um so in this case you know he wanted to do a big make a big deal of it and they had caught some birds so uh they were cooking the bird meat they each got two birds for this meal they had some fish and things like that and very shortly after eating the birds cordoba started having severe stomach pains oh my gosh and he was just groaning and clutching at his stomach and he was just horribly, horribly sick. So they cut the bird open because again, they're eating 
raw meat. Right. They cut the bird open to look at its stomach contact contents, and they had found like a whole skeleton from a snake. Oh. And they're assuming it's some sort of poisonous. Oh my snake. gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, he survives, but this really took its toll on him mentally. Right. And he just he was so fearful of eating any birds mm. ever again and um cordoba or uh, alvarenga had even offered to like eat his food you know an hour before cordoba ate his food to kind of like the king's taste yeah. tester just to show him that it was you it's know safe to gonna eat. be fine yeah. um but he just really started to sink into a deep depression oh. and um they are slowly, slowly drifting in the Pacific Ocean. They're heading southwest, and their little ship, unbeknownst to them, is slowly making its way towards Australia. Mm. Dang. Yeah. Oh, my it's, gosh. I mean, it's not there or anything, but yeah. it's like, that's the, that's the direction trajectory. Wow. So, March 1st, it's day 104. Oh, my word. Uh, yeah. They, now it's they've been out here for a long time. Wow. Um, Cordoba is still sinking into a deeper, deeper depression. And it had been really difficult for them to maintain hydration. Hmm. One of the ways that they would get hydration was through eating the bird meat. I guess they have more like... uh, More like water content? Yeah, more water content than the fish that they were eating or maybe, you know, more fresh water content. I don't really know. Um, But he... Cordoba refused to eat any raw birds, even if he saw um, Alvarenga eat it first. Mm. He just reached this point where he wouldn't mm. wouldn't risk it, and he was starving himself to death. Yeah, dang. Um, Cordoba, he just couldn't get over the poisoning, and this went on for weeks. Mm. So March fifteenth hits day one hundred and eighteen, and Cordoba just goes into these convulsions and dies oh i know oh my god it's so sad because he starved to death he didn't even die of i'm sure he was dehydrated well and probably further dehydrated because he wasn't consuming any meat yeah but it's just so sad because he just couldn't couldn't do it yeah and um alvarenga says he just cried for hours this it's his one companion yeah and up until this point you know, Alvarenga would like give command, like he was able to kind of keep a hold of his reality too by, you know, okay, we got to do this and then we got to do that. You're going to do that. I'm going to do this and kind right. of giving structure to yeah. their days. But now it was just him. Right. And so he just felt just an extreme loneliness when Cordoba died. And for days after. Cordoba's death it well one it was hot out Mm -hmm. and the sun kind of crispified like mummified his body rather quickly within days he didn't get like Alvarenga says there was no smell maybe because of like the dehydration as well exactly like it just his skin just dried out wow and he would talk to him oh as if he was a companion for days oh my gosh I know for six days he did this and it was he would just converse with him as if he was still alive. Wow. And um, after day six, he started to just realize, feel like he was going crazy. Yeah. And 
he suddenly realized that this whole time, like the reality that he was talking to a corpse yeah. sunk into his brain. Wow. And he, before he wasn't really thinking, like it kind of started out as like a joke, like, I can't believe you died and left me here. Right. And then it would be things like, well, what do you think about this? Should we have this for dinner? And, you know, just kind of jokingly, but then it became kind of this reality. Right. And then it, he suddenly snapped back to realizing exactly the scenario. And that's when he decided to push him over. You know, he took the clothes because he might need them later. And then he just tipped his body over and let him slip into the ocean. Wow. I know. He blamed himself for Cordoba's death because he had is the one that had invited him to go fishing to begin with. Yeah. That's so sad. I know. Dang, man. And I can imagine feeling that way, too, when Cordoba had wanted to turn back. Yeah. And, and you chose not to. And they didn't initially. At one point, he held a knife to his own throat and just wanted to end it. Yeah. But he just heard this voice in his mind telling him, like, to not be a coward. Mm. If you die out here, you die out here. But it's not going to be by your own hand. Yeah. And he really felt like God was pushing and urging him to keep living. And he promised God that he wouldn't die that way. Wow. And so he didn't. And he just kept... He's, after that moment, he kind of had a renewed sense of okay, I need to forward think and make plan and focus on food. And he kind of reset his mind. So he made kind of like a flag out of some clothing and a this like chunk of wood. And a, during this whole time that he's at sea, several times they would see a ship in the distance. Can you imagine how maddening... That would be. I would like, you know, uh, yeah, I would. I can't imagine having the fortitude to continue on. You know, I would have given up. I know. Time and time again, I feel like if I had seen just hope right there. I know. But like you said, maybe just the hope of maybe another boat will see me. You know, mm-hmm. that's insane. I know. Wow. And but every time they're just too far away. And so he, with his little flag, you know, he had planned like if yeah. he ever saw one again, then he hoped to be able to flag them down. He practiced doing like uh, mirror signals with the sun. Yeah. Trying to flash the light. He would practice that. Um, he was never rescued that way, but it was things that kept him busy yeah. and th- forward thinking. Mm. On November 18th, 2013. So this is 366 days. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. So I skipped long. a big chunk of time because, I mean, it's what, yeah. it's the sa- same yeah. day. 366 days he's been at sea. At this day, he was the first person in history known to survive an entire year in the wow. open ocean on, like, a small boat. Yeah. That is crazy. And to think that you can spend an entire year floating in the ocean... And still not land anywhere. Right. That is terrifying. Yeah, that's terrifying. It truly is. Wow. So at this point, with it being an entire year, once it reaches a year, a person can be presumed dead. Okay. And um, so his friends and family held funerals. Some of them still truly held out hope that he was out there. That's impressive. I know. Yeah. Somewhere. His family back in El Salvador, they hadn't heard from him in years because he had fled. Yeah. 
and sometimes didn't have a way to communicate with them. So they didn't find out that he was even missing until it was in, like, they had heard it on international news. Wow. Somehow. Oh. I know. That's really sad. At this point, he was eating um, his food source. He was having a hard time collecting food. And part of it could be just, you know, weakness and whatnot. But he was eating more than he was able to catch. Mm. So he started to work hard to conserve water again. And um, he would catch birds. Any bird that landed on the boat, because seabirds would, you know, they'd come to take a rest. Yeah. He would grab them and break one wing. Yeah. And then keep them. Then they couldn't fly, so they were stuck on the boat. And um, he kind of created, like, a little caged area somehow to keep them there. And then... Very smart. And then he would eat them as needed. So that was one way he started to collect some food. And then he started putting, like, the entrails in the water and things like that. And small fish would come. And then larger fish were attracted to those. Mm. And soon he had, like, some more fish at least following the boat. Yeah. But he had reached just this dry period for a while. One bird he kept as a pet. And he named it Poncho. Mm. Which also... I don't think at the time, maybe he didn't even realize how smart this was, but having a companion and somebody to share the experience with was really important. And whenever his food supply would dwindle, he would tell Poncho, you're on the endangered species list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I know. You better watch it, Poncho. (laughs) No. But, um, you know, he'd talk to him day in Mm -hmm. and day out. And it kind of reminds me, did you ever see Castaway? Yeah such yeah. a good film yeah but wilson yeah the volleyball that right. um tom, tom, tom hanks. hanks's character yeah talks to throughout that it kind of reminds me of wilson yeah he does end up having to eat poncho Aww. and he said it was just such an awful experience and whereas with the other birds he would kill them strip the meat lay it out to dry mm-hmm. with poncho he just gulped it down as fast as he could so he didn't have to think about it that's really sad it's so sad oh um after eating poncho he had no food again he, he was too weak to catch things and he would eat bits of wood from the seats wow in the boat and he would chew it into a pulp he cut off little pieces of his beard and would add like water to it to try to swallow it yeah that's (laughs) starvation isn't that terrible oh my goodness okay (sighs) dang dude that's uh it's it's a lot to imagine to be in that position yeah you know he would smash the bones and eat the dust from the bones um he would lick every inch of the ship for moisture mm. trying to get any sort of um, moisture out of the yeah. ship especially in the morning when yeah, there would be dew, dew on it yeah mm-hmm. he would eat barnacles that was really risky because the barnacles were covered at this point the mm. bottom of his boat and he would have to face sharks and risk the sharks to jump in the water to collect the barnacles oh my gosh and it provided very little food right. in the end and it yeah. was a lot of effort right. so it was not always worth it because the amount of energy he's exhausting right versus you're not making that back again and exactly yeah. exactly Ugh. so he reaches day 438 
and it's January 30th, 2014 at this point. Wow, dude. And he starts to see more shorebirds flying and coconuts floating in the water, which he he'd seen occasionally, but mid ocean. And he sits up in his boat as he's seeing these shorebirds and he's looking, they were too quick for him to catch, but he starts looking in the water and seeing these coconuts Mm. and he looks out in the distance and he sees an island. Oh my gosh. The first sight of hope. Wow. Other than those ships, but you know, he couldn't flag those down and his little skiff is slowly making its way towards this island. Wow. And, um, he said it was so hard to not jump in immediately, but he knew he would drown on the way. (laughs) And he's like, I've waited this long. I can wait a little longer, you know? Um, he could see a palm tree jungle. It was raining and he just waited and waited and, um, went into his little shipment container waited for a while out of the elements would peek out occasionally to see how much closer he was to the island Mm. and pretty soon he was less than a mile away wow and at that point he he knew he still thought he might die of exhaustion but he was starting to get anxious worrying that the his little boat might change trajectory and start heading away from the island but he still he waited and he held out until he was now only about a half mile wow and he like builds up the courage and finally cuts the buoys away to so that his um uh, skiff will float freely so the waves can hopefully push him closer but about a half mile is as close as he got so he jumps out thinking he's gonna have to swim this half mile and you know he's got no energy no muscle at this point he jumps in and it's only waist deep. Wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. But his legs were so weak he couldn't stand. Yeah. So he kind of paddled in. Hmm. He explains like a turtle. Yeah. And um, until this one wave just really like lifts him up and yeah. sets him on the sand. Wow. And he just laid there. Oh. Just laid there. Can on you the imagine sand. what oh. that would be like after no. a year, over a year of that wobbly, <laughs> you know? Wow. You would have to get land legs again. Yeah. You know? It's I was like, say, he probably couldn't walk at all. It took. It was really... He explains that it's so difficult to walk at first because just the lack of muscle and yeah. then the gravity, like the weight, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, the footing, everything. So... Um, Especially then you're walking in sand too, mm-hmm. which does not help at all. No, he Dang. crawls. he crawls up the sand yeah. embankment yeah. until he reaches the trees and then he uses those to help hoist himself up and tries to like walk from tree to tree he is so relieved but also terrified because he he doesn't really know where he is and he's heard of these south pacific islands having cannibals oh and that's i i mean i up here you know i haven't really heard stories like that but in el salvador and mexico they would tell of these cannibalistic tribes Mm. on these islands that Mm -hmm. are just so you know brutal and 
savage and things like that. So when he sees he sees this little wooden shack, his initial like his relieved his relieved side of his brain shouts out and he's Mm -hmm. yelling like help me help me ayudame help me but and then he like shuts himself up because he starts to panic and think like crap i'm gonna be eaten right you know and um and he hasn't seen human beings yeah since would that be so scary that would be such a weird thing i know because like we're you know humans are made for that community Mm -hmm. but then you remove yourself for so long and yeah yeah and i can understand like his fear you know and uh this woman comes out of the shack and sees him and calls for her husband and he comes out and they're they speak you know completely different languages Mm. and um but they rush over to help him and of course at first the husband is the one that's like is reserved and um especially because i can only imagine what he looks like right. in this moment you yeah, know he's got this like full face of beard shaggy hair he looks emaciated right and is you know just has this like gnarly looking knife in his hand because he <laughs> yeah. had the knife with him right. so they yell for him to drop the knife and motion for him to let go of it so he take he pauses for a minute because he's it's his this knife is what has saved his life yeah time and time again and so letting go of that was kind of letting go of his security in a right. sense, but he does. And he could only stand for a few seconds mm. at a time. And, and he ends up like just falling to his knees and they come and usher him inside their little shack. Wow. And this wonderful couple just feeds him tons of food. She immediately starts making pancakes mm. and they're giving him um, coconut water you know they have coconuts everywhere so they're giving him water so he's getting hydrated he's eating wow um her husband goes and kills some chickens and brings them back and they're cooking and um he's rescued at last wow and where he is is in this strip of islands called the marshall islands and i'll show you maybe we'll include it yeah um in the pod pictures yeah on our social medias but um it is so far away wow. it's closer to australia than it is the united states or wow. um, than it is south america wow that's yeah. insane it's really really incredible he um ends up being taken to a hospital pretty shortly after this and they keep him on an iv drip for dehydration he has his like ankles are super swollen and they are stunned that he's I mean he's got some heart issues you know that slowly start to get remedied Mm -hmm. but they're really people do not believe him Mm -hmm. that he's been at sea that long wow because he is in relatively good physical condition okay for being on the ocean for 438 days right, yeah and they're stunned they don't believe it like they had they had people investigate his yeah, story yeah to con to corroborate it right and they couldn't believe that he didn't get scurvy yeah and he he's like i don't know what to tell you yeah i this is what i ate right you know and experts confirmed that like uh seabirds and sea- and sea turtles have a high content of vitamin c and if you're eating them in the quantity that he was eating them in 
you that's how he avoided getting scurvy what in the world isn't that insane that's so crazy i know so now we know eat some sea turtles if you have to if you have to only if you have to um in 2015 he gave interviews to american journalist jonathan franklin and he he's who wrote the book okay um 438 days an extraordinary true story of survival at sea and that's the book i read along with articles to you know um compile this podcast but it's an incredible book it's really well written and there's you know of course even more information in the book and he ends up you know the book is published it's a fascinating story he kind of becomes a sudden celebrity just with his story um what's sad is he really gains an extreme fear of the ocean Mm, and water which i completely understand i would never want to look at the ocean again you know which is sad because that used to be his 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 life his His whole life i know but i'm hoping like with the sale of that book yeah and everything that i hope he you know got enough money and royalties to move somewhere that was safe that he felt secure and could provide for his family you know but another thing that was really sad is after the release of the book the family of ezekiel corboda sued alvarenga or attempted to for one million dollars accusing him of cannibalizing their son (gasps) or their family why would they say that why would you just assume that? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And it's it's terrible because this man made it through the most extreme ordeal and wow. is still mourning the loss of his friend, I'm right. sure. Yeah. And then to be attacked like that is That's just crazy. really sad. That's really sad. It's messed up. It's very messed up. But they did not win and... um. So, you know, thankfully, Alvarenga had a good lawyer to combat that and they didn't win the lawsuit or suit or whatever it's called. But yeah, that is the wild story of Jose Salvador Alvarenga. Wow. And his bonkers story of survival. I can't believe. Yeah, because this is like so recent. I know. I never heard of it never heard of it either. and it's a record he has yeah that's the longest time a human has survived in the ocean in a small boat that's insane in history in history that's <laughs> and amazing. just uh, i can't i just can't believe it I yeah know. that's crazy i would yeah but i feel like i get like the people are like oh, now we gotta get someone to investigate this or whatever yeah imagine those friends though back in mexico that he had made who are still holding out hope you know, know. incredible how yeah. do you have hope for that you know i know that's amazing like a year and a half later yeah that's just wow hey we found your bud it's like <laughs> what no way can you imagine like that's so surreal i wonder if their friends were like he probably did eat him I mean, yeah they're like knowing him chancha chancha will saying, eat anything you know <laughs> maybe oh but but there's no evidence so yeah. it will not hold up in a court of law <laughs> it will not it will not but i don't think he did no. because his survival skills were yeah too incredible yeah and yeah, like, why Why would you when you have all these, like, birds and things, you know? Yeah. Like, there's just no need, I feel like. Yeah. Wouldn't it be so annoying to see a coconut in the ocean 
and then you pick it up how are you gonna open it you know what i mean <laughs> like wouldn't that just be so upsetting that would be so upsetting they are <laughs> i can barely get one open with a hammer and that's after it's been husked yeah that husk you're not getting through that you're i don't care what that. knife have you seen the guy that can punch through a coconut with his finger <laughs> you everyone youtube it it's okay it's insane <laughs> it's scary that's freaky all right <laughs> i know anyway on that note on that note thank you guys for listening thanks for listening and you can find us on apple music wait no not was it apple podcast apple podcast <laughs> spotify that's probably where you're listening to this right now probably google podcasts amazon music mm-hmm. and iHeartRadio. and i think that's it <laughs> Ask Alexa to play us, and you can find us on Audible. There you go. And you can show some support for the podcast by going to patreon.com. I would like to give a great shout out to one of our awesome patrons, Samantha. Thank you so much for your love and support of the pod. You rock. You rock. Bye. Bye.